Here's another listener. Essay. Essay. This is Infants on Thrones. Listener Essay. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is essay number one in our May 2018 Listener Essay Contest. Now, today's essay is by Emily and is titled, Of Mormons and Democrats. Now, remember that you, as the listener, are able to vote for and provide private feedback to as many of these essays and authors as you'd like, but you can only vote one time for each essay. Now, voting will take place throughout the month of May and will end around midnight on May 31st. The top three winners will be announced in early June. First place wins $200, second place wins $100, and third place wins $50. And this is all determined by you, the listeners. So simply go to the website, infantsonthrones.com, find the essay or the essays that you want to vote for, click on the link, cast your vote, and provide some feedback to the author. And for those of you who still want to submit an essay for this May contest, there's still a bit of time. Now, if it comes in too late, it's not that big of a deal. It'll just roll over into the next contest that we do, probably in August, if there are enough submissions. Now, July will probably be a songwriting contest. I've received already some excellent submissions from listeners, like this song. And this one. And this one? Oh, brother Joe, you're forever the devil's scarecrow. Oh, do what you say, not what you do. So yeah, it looks like a songwriting contest is going to happen. Email me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com to find out more about the songwriting competition. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves, because that's then, and this is now. And now, it's all about today's essay from Emily, titled, Of Mormons and Democrats. So take it away, Emily. Hey, infants. Hey, Emily. Glenn and other listeners inspired me to write my own essay. I didn't think I had anything of worth to say, but the more I listen, the more I realize my story is just as valuable as anyone's. So after hearing the first two essays of 2018, I whipped up an old-fashioned and marched up to my computer. So here we go. My Mormon transition isn't very unusual, but it is mine, and my hope is that someone will relate and nod their head along in agreement, as I have done countless times over countless podcasts. I was raised in a Latter-day Saint home, but, like, in a normal people way. My father and then my stepdad were both active-duty military, so we moved a lot, and I was exposed to a variety of lifestyles. We were not perfect Mormons, but we sure gave it a go. Every two or three months, my mom and stepdad would implement a new family home evening program that was definitely going to get us into the habit and definitely not suck this time. But we would always fight and fail. My parents would call my siblings and I for family prayer in the evenings about four out of seven nights a week, and we would only fight about going to church most of the time. I graduated from all four years of early morning seminary and loved every minute of my highly active Mormon youth. 
I did mention a stepdad, and yes, my mom has been divorced twice with periods of inactivity in between marriages, which is her story to tell, not mine, but it illustrates that we as a family went through something fairly uncommon in the Mormon realm. So I didn't think I was super judgmental growing up, and in fact thought of myself as a cool Mormon, one who didn't smoke, drink, or do drugs, but who still went to raise with my stoner friends in high school. A cool Mormon who was so cool, her first kiss was at 19 with a Nevermo boy who got expelled our junior year for having a bong in his car on school property. A cool Mormon girl who didn't want to go to a church-owned university because it was too churchy. But after two years at the University of Alaska Anchorage, I applied and was accepted to Brigham Young University, Idaho, because, you know, it wasn't in Utah, so it wasn't too Mormon. There, I accidentally found other cool Mormons and went to house parties well past curfew, skipped more than a few Tuesday devotionals, and only attended the minimum required FHE meetings. But overall, I was still nauseatingly Mormon and graduated from BYUI with an engagement ring on my finger at an ancient 25 years old. Through my college years, my friends knew that I was politically literate and followed the news very closely. They also knew that I was a staunch conservative. Surprise, surprise. I can remember a few instances growing up where conservative politics played a central role that shaped what I thought as an adult. My mother would listen to conservative AM talk radio in the car, and I got to know several different gentlemen by the names of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Michael Savage. At about 11 years old, I recall asking my mom the difference between Republicans and Democrats. She answered in a very simplified way, saying that those two groups of people believed different things about the government and the president, and that she herself identified as Republican. I responded by coming up with a mnemonic of sorts. Right, we're Republican, and Democrats are dumb. Rush Limbaugh would like you, she smiled. Even though my mom tried really hard to show respect to all political affiliations, I picked up that some people, liberals, were just fluffy-headed, naive, and uninformed. I carried that view into my teenage years and began to justify it with the LDS Church's teachings. No way, I thought, could someone be a liberal Democrat and consider themselves in full fellowship with the LDS Church. No way. After all, liberals were pro-abortion. The gospel was pro-life. Liberals believed in giving condoms to teenagers and teaching sex ed to kindergartners. The gospel taught sex is sacred and should only happen between married heterosexual couples. Liberals supported the gays. I learned in church being gay was a sin. Liberals believed in government handouts and programs labeled entitlements. The gospel of Jesus Christ taught self-sufficiency and good old pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Feminists were liberals, and feminism was all about hating being a woman and blaming men for everything. LDS doctrine taught us that women were more spiritual than men and valued for being mothers, the best thing a woman can be. Liberal Democrat Mormons obviously did not understand the gospel, I thought. Mormonism and liberalism were simply incompatible. But, as life would have it, something happened to me that made me rethink the way I approached politics and the relationship between Democrats and Mormons. I went through the temple. My first time through, only a couple days before my wedding, I was hungry, hot, tired, and preoccupied with tying together the loose ends of my wedding prep. So although I was taken aback by how frickin' bizarre it all was, I didn't begin to feel uncomfortable until I went back to do endowments for the dead several months later. And do you, Eve, covenant to hearken unto your husband as he 
hearkens unto the Lord. Wait, what? I thought to myself, did I hear that right? I must have heard that wrong. Eve covenants to the Lord too. I'm sure of it. In full disclosure, I don't think that line would have stood out to me so much if my marriage wasn't so difficult in the beginning. There was a lot of inequity and a lot of, I'm the priesthood holder, in the first years of our marriage, and I was miserable. My parents' relationship was not like that at all, and I struggled to understand why mine wasn't like theirs. I went to the temple several times seeking comfort and guidance, trying to understand why my marriage wasn't bliss, but ultimately trying desperately to hear something that wasn't there, and worse, discovering what was there. No, Eve doesn't covenant to the Lord. She covenants to Adam. Adam has control over her. My husband thought he had control over me. One day, quite a while later, after a big fight with my husband involving something to do with church, I locked myself in the bathroom and bawled my eyes out. My husband finally came to me in one of my most vulnerable moments to date. I told him that the temple makes me uncomfortable, is confusing, I get nothing out of it, and worst of all, gave him an excuse to act like a total dick to me. I thought that was the end of us right there, but he leveled with me and was equally as vulnerable. Me too, he said. He told me that he tried and tried to get something out of the temple, but mostly he was pretending, faking it until he hopefully makes it. He said he was sorry that he was treating me the way he was and that I was right. He thought he had control over me as the priesthood holder. He thought he was doing it in a righteous way, but he really had no clue how bad he was hurting me. That moment marked a turning point for us. All of our marriage issues were not magically resolved, but it allowed me room to be more authentic with my husband and him with me. After that point, I really began to ask myself why I felt the way I did in the temple. Was it actually meant to be taken the way I was receiving it? Well, 30-ish endowment sessions over 18 months told me that, yep, I was reading loud and clear. Women aren't worthy to deal with God directly. Suddenly, movements like ordained women didn't seem so radically insane to me. Those women had felt something similar and were advocating for change. Shortly after really paying attention to ordained women and discovering that I wasn't alone in my temple discomfort, an LDS coworker mentioned how she thought all of those women were misguided, crazy, angry, and just needed to stay in their own lanes. I kept quiet but thought to myself, she's really lucky to never have experienced something to make her understand their cause. Comments like my coworkers were frequent as ordained women and Kate Kelly were making Mormon headlines. And each time I heard how those women had the gospel all screwed up and didn't understand the priesthood, I would internally scream, I've been a member my whole life. I think I understand the priesthood. Just trust me when I say my experience was different than yours. Because I felt like I couldn't talk to other LDS women about how I was feeling, I turned to the internet. I googled a few dorky phrases like, Mormon temple makes me uncomfortable, and hate my Mormon wedding. These searches turned up links to feminist Mormon housewives, the exponent, and a few other progressive Mormon sites, mainly geared toward women. After digging through several blog posts, I felt like I had found my tribe. I discovered that a dear high school friend living in Boston was way ahead of me on Mormon women's issues, and she introduced me to a whole world of Mormon feminism that made me go, yes, exactly. Finally, someone had heard me. I wasn't alone. Someone had believed me and had validated my experience. 
I was relieved to have found my people, but I still had so much internal conflict. Remember, I leaned pretty far right on the political spectrum, and I now found myself agreeing and sympathizing with feminists. But because I had been validated in noticing and experiencing the gender inequality in the temple, I decided to acknowledge all the other questions that had been sitting on my theological shelf and see if these mofems could help me sort through those as well. As you can probably guess, my shelf cracked, split, and then finally collapsed, leaving me to sort through the pieces to rebuild my worldview. As I was and as I continued to rebuild my worldview, I started to give more heed to the social issues brought up in the Mormon feminist world. What if, I thought to myself, those liberal Democrats aren't actually stupid and misinformed? What if they just have different experiences that lead them to believe different things? This all sounds so ridiculous as I read it out loud. Any kid who goes to their friend's house can pick up on the fact that not everyone does things the same way. And though I intuitively knew this, it did not hit home for me until my experience in the temple didn't match up to others. So I started to approach politics and social issues with a much more open mind than before my shelf cracked. Reading about issues dealing with racism, sexism, homophobia, institutionalized shame as a means of control, body positivity, victim blaming, and on and on and on were consuming my every waking moment as I read about them with open eyes and a fresh, albeit raw, perspective. Soon I found myself relating to the world in entirely different ways. Before my feminist awakening, as I've discovered a lot of people call it, I would have asked why a rape victim was in a bar so late or why her skirt was so short. But now the latest news piece about the rape in the next town over has me so fired up about men and how they sometimes feel entitled to women's bodies. Before, I would easily ignore homeless people and make broad sweeping judgments about their character and how they have options for help, they just choose not to use them. Now the homeless people in downtown bring tears to my eyes and my hand to my wallet as I think about their circumstances and how they might not be entirely their fault. Before, I struggled so hard trying to reconcile how God can make gay people gay and then forbid them from being gay. Now I realize being gay is just how some people are born and nothing else should frickin' matter as long as they're good people. Overall, since allowing myself the room to think differently about politics and social issues, I find that I have so much more love for people in general. I find that I'm not as judgmental and I'm much more tolerant. I don't pretend to be perfect. I'm reminded every day that I have a lot of work to do. But I like where the switch in my thinking is taking me, even if my mom thinks I've gone completely to the dark side. I used to be so sure about where I landed on the political spectrum because I was so sure about where I landed spiritually. But when my spiritual footing slipped, my entire identity, including my political identity, tumbled and shattered. I know I don't identify as conservative anymore, but I don't know that I'm entirely liberal either. What I do know is that having been firmly entrenched in one of the two major U.S. political parties, the other side isn't stupid. And it's entirely possible to be Mormon and vote Democrat. I totally get why now. And while it would be nice to have everyone on the same page and just get you right away, that's not how the world works. And that's okay. So there you go. Thank you very much, Emily, for your essay. Now, if you as our listener want to go and vote for this essay, go to our website, find this episode, click on the voting link, and leave your feedback. And if you haven't already joined us on Patreon, 
please consider signing up and supporting Infants on Thrones for as little as $1 per episode, capped at whatever budget you want to give yourself for the month. Your generosity helps keep this podcast alive and growing. So thank you, and tune in tomorrow for another listener essay. Hi, this is Julianne from Kaysville, Utah, where in my gospel doctrine class recently, I was likened unto the Samaritan people because of my tattoos. You may comment on the website about this episode, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, even if you have tattoos, give the Quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes, like I did. Anyone for their closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.